Today we're going to look at the book of Acts chapter 15, uh, one of the most beautiful and divisive scriptures uh, in all the Bible. Um, uh, as many of you all know, our denomination has been struggling over the last 50 years since our founding uh, about uh, how we do what, who's in, who's out, who participates, at what level and when. Um, and so we return to the scriptures to see um, how we live together, how we move forward together as the people of God. Let's share in God's good word together. It wasn't long before some Jews showed up from Judea insisting that everyone be circumcised. If you're not circumcised in the Mosaic fashion, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce protest. The church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul and Barnabas and a few others to put it before the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Open doors means that you can just take the time to give to others. You open the door to Jesus when he knocks on your heart. An open door is going one step further and saying, oh, yeah, come on in. Opening for anybody who wants to come to church. No matter what they're like, they are a part of the church family. Open hearts, open minds, open doors, open the debate, open the discussion. What does this mean? How do you do that? Who's in? Who decides? I would, I would want you to know, uh, I feel a little bit like Paul here. Um, he lists out all these sort of credentials of what it was to be a Pharisee, what it was to be a perfect Jew. And I will tell you uh, that I am a perfect Methodist, uh, as, as much as you can do. Uh, born in a parsonage in Ringling, Oklahoma. Um, now, you would know that we can only be perfected in love, and that's it. Um, but from the time I was little, I mean, I was raised in the church. Um, when I, we were in Bartlesville, I was an acolyte, me there in my alb uh, with my little taper just so. Uh, Clinton Thatch, the music director, we all wore robes every Sunday. We gathered in the narthex uh, for that. If you're not a church person, that means the hallway uh, out in the front. Uh, we would come down the nave, that's the center row. Uh, not the transepts or the side aisles, but the nave, all the way to the chancel. This is a chancel, in case you didn't know. It's a stage. If you're not churchy, it's a chancel if you are. Um, if we're over here, it's the lectern. If it's over here, it's the pulpit. Um, you know, and you have all this language around all this stuff. And I knew it all, forwards and backwards. And if you were a good Methodist kid, you knew that. I even went through confirmation a year early. <laughs> my dad taught, and we were moving the next year, so they snuck me in. Um, so th this was my life. I did boys choir at 3.30, youth choir at 4.30, uh, youth group at 5.30, a snack supper, um, you know, did youth group um, early and late. Uh, Dad was over discipleship uh, at first Bartlesville, and uh, my Wednesdays were from 3 o'clock to uh, almost 11 o'clock at the church as mom finished up choir practice. And as a fifth grader, I was still in the nursery because that was the only place for the preacher's kid. To follow safe sanctuaries. And, but be fair, I hated it. I just hated it. So if you're a fourth, fifth grade kid around here and you don't like church, join the club, get in line. You know, that's okay. You, youth group's awesome. You'll like it in seventh, eighth grade. The girls are hot. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll live into it like, like most other Methodist kids have over time. You'll go to camp and you might find Jesus. You might find him here. You might find him other places. But all that's to say that if you were to ask me then or you would ask certain people now what church is, it looks like that. They would come to church here and they say, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like this, doesn't look like that. If you went to a Pentecostal church, 
there's still Pentecostal churches that say you're not saved unless you can speak in tongues. As evidence. And it's in the Bible. Word for word in the Bible. So if you are here and you, you don't speak in tongues, then you're hellbound by a whole stretch of people. I mean, you should understand this. Now, if you were in another group and you haven't been immersed in their tank, you're hellbound. I'm hellbound because I haven't been immersed. I was baptized as a baby sprinkled. So for a whole other group of Christians, even it doesn't matter that I went to seminary, doesn't matter that I went again, doesn't matter that I have a master's divinity, doesn't matter uh, that I have a doctorate in theology, none of that matters to them. The only thing that matters is was I immersed in the name of Jesus and went all the way under. And if I haven't, then I'm going to hell in their minds. There are hundreds of thousands of people that believe just that. Do you believe that? Some of you do, um, but that's okay. That's okay. We're among friends. Friends. So, last week we started to look at this discussion. What is church? What did Jesus mean by that? What did the early church mean by that? The Greek word for church is ekklesia. Say that with me. Ekklesia. It's a gathering of people for a specific purpose. It's not a building. It's not a movement. It's not a denomination. Some people have been worried about whether the United Methodist Church is going to survive in 2019. There's no guarantee of that. There's not. Jesus didn't say, on, on Peter the Rock, I'm going to build the United Methodist Church. No, we'll be 50 in April. Um, we were the Methodist Church before that in the United Evangelical United Brethren. I posted a link on my uh, Facebook page if you want to see that. Chuck Nose Church did all that. Uh, it was in 1968. I was little. My parents were actually there at the Uniting Conference in Dallas. And, and we became a church. An ecclesia of people called out for a specific purpose, John Wesley would say, to, to spread scriptural holiness across the land so that people would know the truth and grace of Jesus. Now, so you might say, well, if, if church is a, spe- a group of people for a specific purpose, what's our purpose? Well, I, I had a feeling, like every other church, we might forget, so we say it every week so that you won't forget our purpose. And that is to help what kind of people? Non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. So... In an AA group, they have one question, and that is, do you want to stop drinking? Everybody's welcome. That's their one question. If you want to stop drinking, you can go to AA group. And having been to AA groups and all other kinds of groups, sometimes with some of you and sometimes by myself and sometimes with other folks, um, that's a good question. And, and I, would, I would submit to you, as Frederick Beekner does, um, that I think AA groups are a lot more like church than a lot of churches are because they're real and they're ready to help each other live in kingdom power and a power greater than themselves and so you might say well what's our one question our question here at acts 2 is do you want to follow jesus we've got one question that's it do you want to follow jesus in the same way that aa has one question do you want to stop drinking that's our question so how if we're going to follow jesus we better know who jesus is and what does the bible say about jesus who jesus is well we believe that jesus is the word of god will you say that with me he is the word of god we get that out of john Right, The Logos, or Logos, depending on how you want to say it. Full of grace and truth. Both are necessary. It's not 50% grace and 50% truth. It is fullness. Jesus is fully God and fully human. In the same way, he is full of grace and full of truth. We talked a little bit about that last week, that you need both. Now, when you start to slide to either side, you lose the fullness of who Jesus is and what the church is to be about. So in John 1.14, the scripture says this, And the word, Jesus became flesh, came from heaven to earth, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of what, say it with me, grace and truth. Right? you got to have them both. So, when the scripture says logos in the Greek, it's not just text, it's not just speech, it is God in what? 
action. God in action. So if you want to know what Scripture says about God, about Jesus, about us, about the relationship between God and us, about the church, we have to look at the person of who? Jesus, the very Word of God. And the words of God in the Bible are about that word Jesus. And so if you want to understand the words of God, you have to look through the lens of Jesus. Now, you can use uh, the tradition of the church. You can use uh, your noodle. You can think through it. But at the end of the day, whatever you read in the Bible has to come through your lens of Jesus, who he is and what he did and what he does today. Make sense? So anything you read in the Bible, you don't get to just take it face value. You have to put it through the lens of Jesus, through his life, and not just what he said, but what he did. Now, Andy Stanley, in his book, Deep and Wide, says something I think is really important. And those of you who have teenage daughters and sons, you know how important this is. And that is, if you want to know what people mean by what they say, watch what they do. Right? Anybody can say that they love you. The question is, are they there for you when it's time? Anybody can say, oh, I meant it. But as you watch their life, they don't ever live it out. They don't do what they say they're going to do. You see, if you want to know what people mean by what they say, watch what they do. That's never more important than the person of Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus means by what he says on the Sermon on the Mount, you better look at his life. Because he's always doing show and tell. He's like, you've heard it said, I say to you, and then he goes and lives it out. So if you want to know what the scriptures mean, look at the life and actions of Jesus. Jesus. If you want to know what Paul means by what he says, then you've got to look to the person of Jesus. If you want to know what the early church decides about things, you have to look at the person of who? Jesus. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He blew up every social construct that they had at that time. Over and over and over and over and over again. I have searched the scriptures now uh, very intentionally uh, for about 20 years. And in those 20 years, I keep looking at what Jesus did. Not just what he said, but what did he do? One of the first things you find in Matthew is that he goes to the tax booth and he sees Matthew and he says, follow me. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, we remember together that a tax collector is someone who has a contract in hand by the occupying force of Rome. It was largely wealthy people who had the ability to buy the contract from Rome and then fulfill it. Rome would basically put out to bid. Okay, here's a region in Galilee, or here's, here's a region over here, or here's a region over here. And we need a million dollars in the marketplace out of that area. We need taxes out of that area for a million dollars so that we can send more troops to keep the peace, the Pax Romana around the world. Does it make sense? The tax collector then could collect as much or as little as they wanted. They could eat the million dollars. They could even up the million dollars. Or they could collect $2 million and keep the profit. Does this make sense? Rome didn't make any difference to them. All they needed was their million dollars. So Matthew was a very wealthy man. And he earned that money on the backs of his fellow Jews in order to pay the occupying force to keep them oppressed. Is that the kind of person you would choose to be on your team? One of your 12? One of the first people? That's who Jesus goes to. He goes to Matthew and says, hey, Follow me. And he does. As Jesus was walking along, Scripture says in Matthew 9, 9, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He says to him, follow me. He gets up and he follows him. That's what he does. 
Isn't that a weird story? Does that seem odd to you? That is not how I would build my team. <laughs> hey, Mark, you know, go, go find somebody who's a, a part of Al-Shabaab or Boko Haram, uh, some other force that, you know, is, is against you, and put them on your team. You know, everybody will love them. That's what he did. Or you can go to sort of the other end of the spectrum. Not, not the rich and powerful and, and nasty and conniving, uh, but a woman caught in adultery. He says to her, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Right? It's, it's not carte blanche behavior. She can't do whatever she wants to do. He's like, look, lady, you do this again, I'm not around. You're dead. This kind of behavior is going to kill you. This is really dangerous for you. So again, the scripture says it this way. The scribes and the Pharisees, they bring a woman who had been caught in adultery. Well, that, that's telling in and of itself, isn't it? It's the church people that's looking for the prostitute or the adulterer and, and throwing them out in the, in the yard. Isn't that interesting? It's the Sunday school teachers and the clergy that are, that are looking for the women and bringing them out there. And it makes her, makes her stand before all of them, all these people, because they're, they're ready to kill her. And, and really, they just want to get at Jesus. I mean, she's just a pawn in the game. So they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. You know that. So what do you say, Jesus, as she stands there, wondering if she's going to live or die that day? What do you say? You see, they said this to test him. They didn't really care about her or what happened. They just wanted to get Jesus because they wanted a charge to bring against him. And Jesus bends down. He writes his finger on the ground. In my mind, he's writing their names and the women they've been with. And um, they're like, oh, never mind. Because he knows everything. He's God himself in flesh. But they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he says this to the woman. Let anyone among you, all these other good, loving church folks, who's without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the elders, of which I am one, an elder, Andy's an elder, that's what your clergy people are in the Methodist church, elders. And he straightens up and he says, woman, where are they? Where did they go? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. That's important. There's your grace. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. There's the truth of it. See how that works? Grace and truth. Now, the interesting thing in church is, that we often start to lose truth. People come in, they say, how are you doing? And your answer to me is what? Fine. With a big old smile. And sometimes I go, okay. We don't have time for the conversation we need to have. That's okay. And other times I'll be like, come on. You know you're not fine. You're not fine today. What's going on with you? Sometimes you're fine. It's fine to be fine. I, you know, I wish everybody was fine. But that's not, the, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Some of the behaviors that we all engage in will kill us. I, I had a, a mentor of mine say it this way. He goes, Mark, we are all three bad decisions away from jail time. I think he's right. You know? Uh, General Thompson could probably tell us the truth about that. You know, somebody stops you and you're not at your best. And you make a bad decision. You make another bad decision. Make another bad decision, you're in county. That's the way that goes. It can happen to any of us. And then, if the woman wasn't enough, if, you know, Matthew wasn't enough, 
Then you get the actual oppressor himself, the Roman centurion. And uh, century means what? A hundred. So a centurion would be over how many men? At least a hundred. So this is like the guy, the guy that everybody hates because he's the guy that has the boot on your neck of at least a hundred soldiers. And he says, to, Jesus says to this guy, oh, I'll come and cure the person that you love. You love him. I can see that. I'm going to cure him. So again, the scripture says this. When he entered Capernaum, an area uh, around um, the Middle East there, a centurion, a man over 100 soldiers, comes to him and he appeals to him and he says, Lord, to Jesus, which, which is no small thing. We don't really use the term Lord anymore, um, but that means I'm answering to you. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And, and he said to him, I will come and cure him. Now, you'll notice there's not a big, long conversation before this point. He simply just says, I see the need. I know who you are. I'll cure him. Now, again, the optics on that are terrible. All the Jews are watching. He's helping the wrong guy. I don't think this guy's been to Sunday school. Never on a mission trip that I know of. He hasn't even helped with youth group. And he's going to heal him. And he says to him, I'll come and cure him. Cure him, not just heal him, but cure him. And the centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. And he says, for I also am a man under authority. I get this, with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes, another come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard him, he was amazed. And he said to those who followed him, he said to the Jewish people following him, he said, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. This guy gets it. And if you don't know this about me already, just know this. One of my most favorite things in my entire life is when somebody who doesn't know Jesus comes to Bible study. Somebody who's never been in church comes to Disciple or one of the other studies that we have because when they read the text, they get it. Because they read through all the Sunday school mess, all the ways that we've cleaned it up. And they'll read something in Genesis or they'll read something in Joshua and they're like, that's terrible. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's terrible, the kind of things you see in the Bible. Terrible stuff. And Jesus says, come on in. Follow me. And then if his entire life wasn't enough to help you see who he is, when he's on the cross, which is why we keep this here, to remember the truth of who Jesus is and was, he looks to the other guy and says, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, to me, this is a text that my dad handed on to me in ministry because sometimes we have to do funerals for people that are just terrible people. I mean, seriously, you ask their kids, did you love your dad? No, he was terrible. He beat us. He yelled at us. We wish, you know, last time I saw him was 20 years ago. I wouldn't be here except for my mom. The dude was awful. We're, we're all sure he's going to hell. But, you know, do your best, Pastor. It reminds me of the story of the two guys um, that were just terrible people, and, 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 and they were super rich, and he goes to the pastor, and he says, look, if you say that my brother who just passed was a saint, then I will pay you $10,000. And the pastor's like, I don't know. Everybody knows he wasn't a saint. Everybody knows, you know, that he's terrible. He cheated half the town and slept with the other. I mean, just, the guy's terrible. He says, $10,000, though. You know, the roof's leaking. We need it repaired. Okay, so he gets up in the pulpit for the funeral. Everybody wonders what he's going to say about this guy. And he says, hey, um, this guy uh, right here, 
I just need you all know he's paying me $10,000 uh, to be nice about his brother. This guy has cheated you. This guy has slept around. This guy uh, is the weasliest person I've ever met. Um, but, but, you know, compared to his brother, he's a saint. That's how I got out of that one. So we go to this text. One of the criminals who was hanged there kept deriding me. He said, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Seems like sort of a dumb thing to do as you're heading out. But Jesus says, okay. And the, uh, the other rebukes me. He says, don't you fear God since you're under the same sense of condemnation? We are getting what we deserve. You know, we don't know what those things are, but it's bad. And he says, Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. And then he looks at Jesus in desperation. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, truly, I tell you today, you, be, you will be with me in paradise, heaven. You're in. Not even baptized. What do you think about that? If that guy on the cross is in, everybody's in. Why don't you think about that? If that guy's in, everybody's in. Now, not everybody's going to choose to say yes, right? I believe in universal salvation, not universal redemption. God gives us the opportunity to say no to him. He does. There are people who are look Jesus face to face, and Jesus says, follow me. And they're going to say, no, I got other things I like to do. And Jesus gives us that choice. But with all that I am, I believe that when, when you pass, when anybody passes, Jesus looks at you and says, I'm here for you. Welcome. Follow me. Follow me. That's, that's what I believe. He can't prove it because we haven't died and gone back. But if you look at the character of Jesus, particularly in his last moments, that's his character. That's what he does. And friends, that's so important if you have a friend that's committed suicide. It's really important that you understand the character and the love of God and, and, and the character of Jesus. He's going to say, welcome, come to me. I love you. I understand mental illness. I understand depression. I understand what you've been through. Come to me. And then, if you look at the stories Jesus told in Luke 15, the gospel and the gospel, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So get this straight, friends. If we have a church of 100 people, and there's only one of them that doesn't know Jesus, heaven is rejoicing about that one person. And by the way, the other 99 folks, our job is to help get that person in the room. Challenge is... That most churches don't have a single convert in them at any given year. If they're less than 100 in attendance and more than 10 years old. We know this statistically. If your church is over 10 years old and less than 100 in attendance, more than likely you're going to have zero professions of faith. And that's a problem in Oklahoma because we have 368 churches, United Methodist churches in our state that worship less than 100. Most of them with zero professions of faith. And I would submit that then we've got more work to do. Because we're in the unique position to be where people are moving to. We're over 100. We're no longer less than 10 years old. But we're trying our best to reach people. All people. Now, this is not easy. This is not clean. In the early church at Acts 15, this is roughly 20 years after the resurrection, the church wrestled with questions of participation and salvation of non-Jews. By the way, that's us. There might be someone here with full Jewish lineage. I doubt it. This is us. Who gets to participate? Who gets to follow Jesus? You see, the apostles and elders, they met together to consider this matter. Who's, who's in? Who gets to follow Jesus? 
And after there had been much debate, Peter stands up and he says to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. We looked at this last week. You are Peter, Petros, the rock, and on my rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones. And Peter says this, And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. By cleansing their hearts by faith, he's made no distinction between them and us. Now, this would be difficult to hear if you had spent your entire life learning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy cold, and the other guy doesn't know any of it. And Peter says, it doesn't matter. They're like, they don't keep Sabbath. That's one of the marks of us being covenant community. It doesn't matter. They're not circumcised. By the way, that was sort of a deal ender for a lot of adult males. A lot of women and children signing up for Christianity, not so much for the dudes. Like, I think I'll pass. Because the church people were saying, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. That's a problem. So Peter answers, there is no what? Distinction. Friends, there are more than 600 Mosaic laws, 600 things that a devout Jew would have to do. And Peter says, wipe it. The founder of the church is like, look. The mission of Jesus, following Jesus, is more important than any one of these, you know, smaller issues that we're fighting about. The question is, are you going to follow Jesus? And so he says, why do you test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? The law leads to death, to sin, then to death. We couldn't do it. Why are you asking them to do something we haven't been able to pull off ourselves? Because we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. That they are saved. Without the other 600 pieces. You you cannot understand the cataclysmic shift that happens. You might argue that we wouldn't be here today if this had not happened. And not only does Peter stand up, the leader of the church, then Paul, then Barnabas. And they share their testimony about how they see God moving in the lives of these non-Jews, these Gentiles. So the whole assembly kept silence. I mean, just just a hush comes over the place because Peter's blowing their mind. And then Paul gets up and blows his mind. Then Barnabas gets up and blows their mind. These are the full leaders of the church who saw and walked with Jesus. Either in in life or in Paul and Barnabas' case, um, resurrected Jesus. They, They all saw signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then after Peter and then Paul and then Barnabas, everybody looks at James because he's the brother of Jesus. And they're like, oh boy. It's exciting time. What, what do you do? James doesn't say, well, this is what I think. James doesn't say, this is what I feel. He says, let's look at the prophet of Amos. He goes to scripture, which is what we need to do. And he lays out about how he understands this day at Acts 15 to be the fulfillment of the Amos prophecy that God has been working with the Gentiles all along, even though none of the religious people could see it or understood it. And so he says, therefore, I have reached the decision James makes the decision point that we should not trouble those Gentiles, non-Jews, who are turning to God. If they want to follow God, let's help them. But there was this very weird thing. The Gentiles had a whole pantheon of gods. Six, seven, eight, ten, twelve. Zeus, Aphrodite, Mars, Ares, all these different gods. And they would go to their temples. And the temples, they would sacrifice meat. They would have these huge feasts doing everything that the Jews were told not to do. Meat with blood in it sacrifice to idols, and there was a lot of sexual practices that went around with that, including temple prostitution with boys and women and all kinds of things. 
And, and so they looked at this, James did, and he said, well, there's no way that you can continue to do all of that, which is in the direct opposition of everything this group's doing. If we're going to bring these two groups together, you've got to stop doing the stuff you did at the temple, whatever that is, which is um, polluted by idols. You can't do that. Or strangled in some translations. Fornication, which is a very wide swath of all kinds of immorality. The Greek there's pornea, uh, which is where we get our word pornography from. Uh, by the way, if you watch Game of Thrones, you're included. And so, seriously, I mean, if you're looking at this, if you're looking at what it says, you can go back to Leviticus 17 and 18. We won't take time to do that. If you've seen your brother, sister, father, mother, cousin, aunt, or a whole bunch of other people naked, you're on that list. If you've ever seen your wife uh, without clothes on, on her period, you're on that list. I mean, the list is wide. And I would submit to you that if you're in the room, you're on the list. Unless maybe you're five. Right? But if we're talking about adults... And you look at that word translated, you're on the list. We're all on the list. And from whatever's been strangled by blood. So, we have a temptation to say, we're in. Now that we're in, it'll be cleaner, less chaotic if we just let other people in like us. Which is, of course, true. I mean, I would love to only take people who serve in the early service, greet at the late service, and tithe. And don't ask anything from me. If that's you, sign up. But that's, that's not what we get. The warning is, is that it requires sincere submission of all of us, wherever we come from, whatever our hang-up is. The question still remains, do you want to follow Jesus? That's where salvation is, in this life and the next. So the rich young ruler who thought he had this all figured out, he says, well, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not eat, steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud. On your father and mother, Jesus um, had said to him, and he replies back to Jesus, well, teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth. And I, I just want you to know, in my mind, Jesus is like, come on, really? Really? You're going to say that to me? He's lying, by the way. You ever come into church that day like, I lived a perfect life since last service. I don't feel guilt. I don't feel shame. I feel anything. I feel great. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you people in here, but I'm living it right. Living right. So Jesus looked at him, loved him. Notice that. Loved him. Whether he was lying or not, we can't know. Jesus knew. And he said, for you, I don't think this is a universal teaching. I think this is a specific teaching to him, which is important, because otherwise all of us have to go sell everything this afternoon. And he says, to you, you think you understand what it is to follow me, but you don't. For you, you're going to have to sell everything that you own. You're going to have to give the money to the poor. Because you are a greedy so-and-so. And you haven't even touched that one. By the way, the church rarely talks about greed. Or slander or gossip. Because that got to all of us. We kind of pass those off. I've never seen a church split over greed. Have you? Have you even heard of that? Our church is splitting because the non-tithers won't get on board. I mean, right, you're uncomfortable with me just even bringing that up. Right? He says, no, no, no. If you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven, then you'll understand. And when he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving because he had many positions. He was greedy. So greedy. He didn't get it. He thought because he didn't do the things that he saw other people doing, he was in and they were out. And Jesus said, no, 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 let's broaden the conversation. Either everybody's in to follow Jesus, or everybody's out. Everybody gets a chance, or nobody gets a chance. Because when you are at your messes, when you are at your worst, when you are needing Jesus and you are desperate for him, do you really want a policy? 
Is that what you want? When you came to Jesus, when you bowed that knee or you were baptized, you were immersed, were you thinking, I wonder what the church structure is? No. The only group, friends, the only group, and you've got to see this. This is a warning to all of us. The only group Jesus consistently condemned were graceless religious people who misused their truth to their advantage. He said, this serves me well, so I'm going to enforce it now. That's the only people he got in their face about. Money changers, Pharisees, scribes. If you don't believe me, read Matthew. It's there six times in a row so that you won't miss it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Church people, clergy. Church people, clergy. Hypocrites. Play actors. You're not who you say you are. Don't pretend, he says. For you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. For you do not go in yourselves. And when others are going in, you stop them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he says. And unless you're a first-time guest, that's you. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. We're here for you. You're like, what did I walk into? Four, you are like whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs, are you kidding me? They look great on the outside. Inside, they're full of the bones of the dead and filth. I mean, Jesus is just on religious so-and-sos. And I pray that it would never be true for me or any of us. And when people walk in, they're among friends. And when we say, good morning, sinners, people mean it. Good morning. When we say, good morning, saints, people understand the incredible gift that is. Good morning. So with all this being said, you might say, like the early church did, one chapter later, what in the world? What must I do to be saved? What's the real answer? How do we know? Who chooses? Paul is arrested because he's telling everybody in the world about Jesus. One chapter later in Acts 16, um, he's jailed. And in that jail, they pray and they sing hymns in jail. And it shakes. And because the jails are in caves, they fly open because they fall out. Right? That would happen if you were in a jail made from a cave. And, and, and the jailer is going to kill himself because you, that's what happened to you if your prisoners escaped in the Roman Empire. And so they say, don't, don't, don't do that. We're still here. We're, we're not going to leave. We could escape, but we're not going to. And he brings them outside, and, and, and the jailer says this, because of their mercy and their grace, what must I do to be saved? Here's your answer. Read it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, that last phrase, it'll just blow your mind. You and your household. Scripture says, then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. And if you're here today and you want to be baptized, we've got water. You can be baptized today without delay. Baptism's about God, it's not about you. It's a first step, not a last step. We'll baptize you. Because that's what Jesus says to do. We don't need to know your pedigree, your background. We don't need to know what sins you've committed or not committed. We don't need to know your W-2 or anything else about you. If you want to follow Jesus, come be baptized. That's it. And if you have a friend that's been thinking about it, bring them. We'll baptize them too. And if they want to, their whole household. Because people say you need to read your Bible. Oh, I agree. You need to read all of it. All of it. All of it. All of Jesus' teaching. All of Jesus' life. All the things that he did. All the people that he saved, including us. And at the same hour of night... He took them and washed their wounds, the jailer did, and he said to his entire family, they were baptized without delay. So, uh, I invite Andrew to come out and play. Maybe, maybe you know um, uh, a song called Just As I Am. Maybe if you came from a Baptist background or conservative church background, Just As I Am. I want to, to think about the irony of that, about what, what is Just As I Am say. And as a setup to this, I want you to think about these three things as our action steps, friends. People are hard to hate close up. 
So if there's somebody in your own mind that's outside, I want you to move in towards them, to bless them, to welcome them. If there's somebody that you really think is outside the grace of Jesus, I want you to invite them to church. Let's let Jesus be the decider of that, not us. Because it's really dangerous if it's us. Because I would, I would submit to you, since I know you, uh, if we took a vote on every person that ever claimed membership here, some of you would not be in. Right? Right? I mean, we're going to be honest about it. If we took a vote on every person who's in and out, and we voted, hey, I think they're a good idea, then probably none of us are in. So, if there's somebody that's on the outside for you, I want you to take a step closer to them, not away from them. Secondly, I want you to speak truth to nonsense and be civil about it. Uh, these are from Brene Brown's uh, work around forming true community. She doesn't use nonsense. She uses a different word, but we'll use nonsense here. Speak truth to nonsense. If you hear somebody saying that somebody who has mental illness and, and were depressed uh, or is mentally handicapped and they committed suicide or hellbound, just say, no, that's not right. It's not right. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the piece of Second Corinthians means. It's not right. We love you. We can disagree about it, but you need to know. You need to read your Bible more closely more fully and not just take somebody else's word for it be civil though and then maybe hardest of all somebody that you find strange as you get hold hold their hands pray for them bless them do not curse them bless those who persecute you because you see all of us when we come to jesus we come just as we are right if you know it, I want you, to, I want you to sing it with me we're just going to do a couple of odd verses not not that they're odd they're the odd verses in the hymnal um right one and three. So you play for us? So maybe you know this. Just as I am without one plea, but thou thy blood was shed for me, and that thou these words just as I am though tossed about with many a conflict many a doubt fightings and fears within without O Lamb of God I how we all come isn't it that's how we all come let's invite somebody else to come there too amen